This evening's scripture reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Good evening and welcome to our Sunday night worship service. We're grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, we do want to take the opportunity to invite you back at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful for the privilege that we have to come together to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's good to have Brother Joe Baxter with us tonight. I see Brother Joe in the assembly tonight. We're always happy to have him. We're also grateful to have Brother Bobby Liddell with us tonight. As many of you know, Brother Bobby is the director of the Memphis School of Preaching, and we're grateful for the school, for the great work that they do, and for the contributions that they make to the cause of Christ in molding men to preach and teach the unsearchable riches of the gospel. Tonight we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the passage that Matt read just a moment ago. I want us to think for a few moments about the theme, the crown that awaits us. Paul had a very special place in his heart for the people in Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, he writes by stating that he gave thanks for these brethren in his prayers on a regular basis. In verse 2, he recalled without ceasing their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope. I believe that the people to whom Paul was writing, that they were striving to be the kind of Christians with whom the Lord would be pleased. And yet, amidst their struggle to remain steadfast in the Lord, they were experiencing afflictions or persecutions. And yet, before them, as well as before us, awaits the crown of life. I want us to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. The first thing that I would call your attention to is the fact that here were some people that welcomed the Lord. In other words, they were receptive to the teaching or to the preaching that they had heard. In verse 13, Paul said, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. If you go back to Acts chapter 17, you'll read of the Apostle Paul spending some three weeks in the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica was located in the Roman province of Macedonia. And it was there that he spent some three weeks preaching the gospel to those people. As a matter of fact, in verse 2, Luke tells us that he reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And so here was the Apostle Paul laboring among these people, setting forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the fact that Jesus Christ had died, had been buried, and had been raised from the dead on the third day. In verse 9 of chapter 1, 
Paul talks about how they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so here were some people that had accepted the word. In other words, they had been receptive to the, to the divine message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 8 that the gospel will ultimately yield fruit when it falls on honest and good hearts. And I believe that the soil in Thessalonica was indeed fertile. But then also we think about their appreciation for the word. Listen again to what Paul said. In verse 13 he said, We thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Here were some people that realized that the source of Paul's message was God's word. In other words, they attributed what he spoke to Almighty God. The message that you and I proclaim today, in other words, this divine message that has the ability to save the hearts and lives of people, is God's word. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Peter said, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And Peter there is simply saying that the Word of God did not originate in the minds of men. It's not something that mankind thought of. It's not something that he devised of his own accord. But rather, this book comes to us as a result of Almighty God. Now, with that in mind, in light of the fact that these people had appreciation for the Word of God and they, underst they understood its source, I would submit unto you that they, like us, they stood in awe of this Word. They attributed it to the Word of God. That is, they attributed it to Almighty God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 161, in the long ago, the psalmist acknowledged his reverence for the Word of God. And so he said, my heart stands in awe of your Word. It's only when we come to appreciate the fact that this book, that the gospel is of divine origin. I think that their appreciation for the Word of God was tied to their recognition of its divine source. And in light of that, it's my conviction that they stood in awe of this Word. And we too should stand in awe of the Word of God. Every time this book is opened, we ought to be reverent. There ought to be a sense of decorum that comes with the opening of the pages of the Bible. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The psalmist in 105 of chapter 119 attributed the Word of God to Almighty God. He said, Your Word, Thy Word, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. And then also I would suggest that in light of the fact that these people had appreciation for the Word of God, in view of their recognition of its divine source, that they stood in awe of this Word, it would only stand to reason that they would want to be absorbed in the Word. How much time do we spend on a regular basis in this book that we call the Bible. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 
In Psalm 1, verse 2, the psalmist said his delight was in the law of Jehovah. In that law, he said, he meditated both day and night. You and I have the opportunity to open and to study, to meditate on the divine truth of Almighty God. Would the Word of God, would it make us better people? Absolutely. Would it help us to draw closer to God? Well, you know that it will. One of the ways that you and I can become more Christ-like in our demeanor is by spending time in this book. As a matter of fact, James said, Draw nigh unto God, and He'll draw nigh unto you. And so our desire is to absorb ourselves, to literally be absorbed in the Word of God. That is to have a great love for this book. I would also suggest that the people in Thessalonica that in view of their recognition that this book had a divine source, that there was affection for this book. I cited a moment ago Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. How much do you love the Bible? We typically spend time doing those things that we love the most. In our society, people spend some seven to eight hours every day watching television. There are a lot of people in our society today that spend time reading books, novels, works of fiction, literature, etc. They spend time reading magazines, but how much time do we spend reading God's Word? Is it not the case that by spending more time in the Word of God, that we'll become more and more like Him who died for us? Is it not the case that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How are we going to grow spiritually if we're not feeding on the Word of God? Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. In Matthew chapter 4, at verse 4. And then also, let me just make this suggestion. Because of their appreciation for the Word of God, in light of the fact that they recognize this book is of divine origin. They stood in awe of this word. I believe that they sought to absorb themselves in the word. There was great affection for this book. And finally, there was adherence to it. Look again at what Paul says in verse 13. He said, they welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Does the Word of God have free course in your life? I believe that here were people that were trying to live according to the precepts of God. They sought to adhere to the teaching of Paul. All of us would do, will, do well to strive to the best of our ability to harmonize our lives with God's Word. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. One of the ways that we demonstrate our love for the Lord is by honoring His Word. I think about children in the home. How do children show their respect and their love for their mothers and fathers? One of the ways they do that is by obeying them, by doing what they say. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And John said in 1 John 5, verse 3, this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments. 
and his commandments are not grievous or burdensome. In the second place, in looking to our lesson text, we read of their walk in the Lord. And here Paul reflects upon some of the difficulties, the afflictions that they were facing as Christians. Note, if you would, verse 14. Paul said, For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. The church in Thessalonica was born in persecution. Go back and read Acts chapter 17. Paul and Silas, they'd been in Philippi. They'd been beaten. They had been imprisoned. And then we read of them making their way down into the city of Thessalonica in chapter 17. And the Bible tells us that as a result of their endeavors, some of the people in that city, they believed the Lord. They put their faith and trust in Him. They obviously, as Paul said, turned from idols to serve the living and true God. But there were certain Jews who basically incited a riot. They stirred up the multitudes or they stirred up a mob of people and thus made it necessary for Paul to get out of town. And the charge was made in Acts chapter 17 at verse 6 that these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. When I look back at the early disciples, I see individuals who were courageous, who were people of conviction, and who because of their intense love for the Lord, their desire to serve Him faithfully, literally turned the world upside down. They were, to put it bluntly, wave makers. Their desire was to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And despite their nobility in preaching and teaching the gospel, they suffered immensely. Now back in chapter 1, Paul tells us that these people received the word, in verse 6, in much affliction. We live in a great country. And even though our country has any number of problems, and we talked about some of those problems this morning, we still live in a country that is superior to all other countries, at least from my vantage point. One of the blessings of living in this country is freedom. And right now, you and I, we have the freedom to express our beliefs. We have the opportunities and the freedoms bestowed on us to worship God in a public way. I don't, know, I don't know many of us that obeyed the gospel in the midst of affliction or persecution. But these people did. I have known people that as a result of their desire to follow the Lord, they have been ostracized by family members. There have been people that have been very near and dear to their hearts that, had, that because of their obedience to the gospel of Christ cut them off. Well, the saints to whom Paul was writing, they were suffering. He brings to mind, first of all, the suffering 
of the Savior, and then he speaks of the suffering of saints. In verse 15, he speaks of those who had the Lord Jesus Christ killed, as well as the prophets, and then he points out they persecuted us. If you ever want to do a fascinating study, read about the exploits of Paul. The church at Thessalonica was born in adversity or affliction, and Paul was engaged in his second missionary tour. But you just begin to read and chronicle the missionary endeavors of the Apostle Paul. And I see a man that was willing to do whatever, to go wherever, and to suffer immensely for the cause of Christ. Read sometime 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And note the trials and the tribulations and the adversities that Paul experienced. He talked about the anxieties that he had for all the churches. Paul knew what it was like to suffer. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And in that context, Paul mentioned the persecutions that he had suffered. And so Paul understood what these brethren were facing. And you and I would do well to step back and give thanks to God for those who have borne the burdens of our heritage. We ought to be grateful to God that there have been people in days gone by that were willing to suffer, to literally spend their lives in service for the cause of Christ. In verse 17 and following, we read of the wreath that these people would receive from the Lord. In verse 17, Paul said, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Paul here, I believe, closes out this chapter in a state of happiness or rejoicing. But first of all, he brings to mind the separation that they had experienced. And the cause of that separation, according to Paul, was Satan. I don't know how Satan hindered Paul from coming and spending time with these brethren, but obviously he did. But when I read the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's obvious to me that Paul had a very special relationship with these people. His relationship was characterized by the fact, as I mentioned a moment ago, that he prayed for these people on a regular basis. When he closed out his first letter to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 5, verse 25, he could say, Brethren, pray for us. Even though they were separated from one another, even though physically speaking, they were not in company with one another. They could still pray for one another. They could still be supportive of one another. They could still be encouraging of one another. Paul's desire was to see that these brethren walked worthy of Almighty God based on chapter 2, verse 12. In chapter 3, verse 8, 
we find his sentiments for the saints in Thessalonica. And in chapter 3, you'll read of him dispatching Timothy to find out their, their state of affairs. But here's what he said in verse 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Paul wanted to make sure that these brethren were firm and steadfast in their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that you and I should desire above all other things when it comes to our brethren? Whether it be individually speaking or corporately, various congregations that we know about. Well, our ultimate desire, our, our plea, our prayer, is that they will stand firm and true to Jehovah God. As Paul said, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Why was it that Paul was so concerned about their steadfastness in the Lord? Well, when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said, Be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. In that context, he's talking about the resurrection. And ultimately, all believers, all people will be resurrected from the grave. And we'll stand before the Lord, and those who have lived faithfully will receive that home in heaven. And so in verses 19 and 20, Paul brings to mind that crown that awaits us. He said, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. First of all, Paul talked about his separation from the saints. But now he addresses his success with the saints. What was his success? How would Paul view success with the church or with the saints in Thessalonica? Here's how. On the final day, when those people stood before the Lord Jesus Christ or when they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, if they are found faithful, then Paul said, that's our crown of rejoicing. That's our glory and our joy. Here's what impresses me about Paul. He was interested in taking people to heaven. Paul did not view things from a temporal vantage point. I know that because when he wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen, he said, are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. And so in chapter 5 verse 1, he could write and say, we know that if the earthly tabernacle or if the earthly house of our tabernacle be destroyed, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For Paul, it was all about going to heaven. It was all about being with the Lord one day. And Paul wasn't just concerned about himself. Paul wasn't just in this thing for himself alone. But rather, Paul wanted to take as many people to heaven with him as humanly possible. Let me just ask this question. Who are you going to take to heaven with you? When you stand before Almighty God on that great and final day, who's going to be with you 
standing before the Lord, crowned by Jesus because of your influence, your encouragement, or your teaching. As a parent, are you going to take your children to heaven with you? Are they going to be in heaven with you one day? Many years ago, I had the opportunity to grow close to a family that had a child at St. Jude Hospital. I remember on one occasion visiting that family at the hospital. The mother told me at one particular point during the course of the child's treatments that their bill had already reached $2 million. But we were sitting in a break room or in like a cafeteria and she wanted her baby, her child, to live. But she said to me, I would rather my child die now than live to be 50 and not go to heaven. To me, she understood what life is all about. Who are you going to take to heaven with you? As a mother or father, are your children going to be in heaven with you? As a grandmother or grandfather, are you going to take your grandchildren with you to heaven? Are you going to live in such a way so that they are influenced to live for the Lord? Are you going to do what you can to influence them, to mold and to make them into productive servants in the kingdom of God? One of the things that I appreciate about the Memphis School of Preaching and Brother Bobby Liddell is this. They take men and to the best of their ability, they train, they mentor, they teach, they encourage they influence these men to become soul winners for the Lord. Solomon said, he that wins souls is wise. These men are interested in training men to teach others so that others might have the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel. To me, that's taking seriously the Great Commission. And that's taking seriously the desire to see other people in heaven. One day you and I are going to stand before God on the final day of judgment. I want to believe, and I do not say this in an arrogant way, I want to believe that there will be people in heaven because in some small way I've encouraged them or I've helped to teach them. I've helped to influence them. But here's the question. What about you? Who is going to be in heaven because of you and because of your efforts? Wouldn't it be tragic to have had the opportunity to influence others, whether they be co-workers, people that we engaged in recreational activities with, whether they be people that we attended school or classes, took classes with, Friends or neighbors, family members, wouldn't it be tragic if we didn't do everything we could to take them to heaven with us? Paul understood that a crown awaited him and that a crown awaited these people if they remained steadfast in the Lord. 
I close by saying this. There is a crown that awaits us. And we're interested in going to heaven. And importantly, we are interested in taking others with us. Are there going to be trials along the way? Absolutely. Are there going to be difficulties and hardships that we might have to endure along the road of life? Well, of course. But the main thing is this. That we live in such a way so that one day the Lord says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And that in so living, we take others with us. There is a crown that awaits us. One day the Lord's coming. And when he comes, Paul said, he'll descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. All of us will be ready. All of us will await that occasion. We await the second coming of Christ. It may be that he'll come in our lifetime. It may be that our bodies will have been residing in the cemetery for thousands of years. We just don't know. But we anticipate that great day. It might be that you're here today. Maybe you haven't obeyed the gospel. What would you need to do? Well, do as they did in Thessalonica. Be receptive to the truth of God. And by that, first of all, put your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. The Lord also said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. Why not then confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Acts 8, verse 37. And then be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Once you do that, the Lord will add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. And the promise is the crown of life. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not faithful. Why not come home? John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe your example's not been what it should. Maybe you've not been doing what you could to bring forth fruit for the kingdom of God. Why not come as we stand and sing?